tēnei, ahi, ahi, welcome to the panel. RNZ National, lovely to have your company today. Victoria Stewart and Peter Field with me. Uh, lovely uh, one small steps coming through. Paul says, an egg timer in the shower. Domestic hot water is our second biggest energy item, says Paul. Only transport's larger. That's a really good tip, an egg timer in the shower. But what should you set the egg timer to? That's the question. Two minutes, five minutes, whatever. Uh, stop peeling veggies and fruit, for example, p- potatoes, carrots, parsnips, apples, pears. The peels add more flavour and nutrition. And Victoria has really uh, put the cat amongst the pigeons <laughs> with her. I've been thinking. Um, a big response to that, uh, Kirsty says, I'm a left-wing voter, but I have to agree with Victoria. I'm disappointed in the current government. Lots of talk, little action. They've had COVID to deal with, but can't we multitask? Apparently Labour have increased their PR team. It's just obvious. Another one here. Uh, thank you for a great programme, Mollison team. Totally agree with your panellists. We need constructive criticism of our Labour government. Great at talking spin, not so good at actual action. Another one here, Wallace is someone who did not vote Labour. I totally disagree with your panellists on the current government. In our area of the far north, we are ahead in the vaccine rollout. Employment's up. Environmental programmes starting to gain traction. After years of neglect, a lot of us are feeling positive. So, wonderful responses today. Keep them coming, 2101. Or you can email thepanel.rnz.co.nz. This item first, a review of school staffing for primary schools is calling for smaller classes and more teacher aides. The report is done by NZEI Te Rio Roa says significant staffing changes are needed in primary schools in Kura. It also says the school system is racist and teachers say they're dealing with more educational behaviour, more behavioural and learning difficulties in the past and are struggling. The panel, which included former Education Minister Steve Mahari, former Principal Fitu Cormac, recommends smaller classroom sizes and more learning support, as well as targeted resource for support for Māori and Pacifica education. So to discuss all this is Leanne Ōtene, Principal of Whangarei School. Leanne Tinaakwe. Kia ora. Would you, agree, yeah, would you agree with the findings of the panel, Leanne? Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm quite supportive of the report and the recommendations by the Puertuma Review Panel. I mean, it gives us a really concise account of the current staffing model, which was introduced in, which I believe, 1996 and really hasn't changed since. So it offers, um, I guess, um, some recommendations on what staffing should look like going forward. Yeah. What are you seeing at your school? Well, you know, we're all... Um, Basically, the report tells us that, you know, we're all struggling with a larger number of students with learning learning needs, and we need to be staffed accordingly with that. We've got teachers who are seeing high workloads, and they needed to be supported um, with time to be able to not only reflect on their own practice, but also take on board all the new sort of learnings we're expecting of them. We've got principals who are telling us that they are doing, you know, extremely long hours and they need support as well. So this report deals with all of that. Yeah. We've also, yeah. Yeah, Leanne, I'll bring in our panellists very, very shortly, but sure. I'm reading I'm reading, the, I'm reading a, an item here uh, and look, a teacher tells the review panel, quoting, we, we see more and more students coming into the school with social and behavioural issues than I've seen in my 20 plus years in the profession and we are drowning. Experience has not taught me how to deal with these new behaviours. And is that something that you can relate to and, and is that what you're seeing? 
Oh, totally. You know, it's happening in all of our schools. Um, and yes, over the last year and a half, I'd say that, that we are crying out for that support. And, you know, you'll see it in the media that all schools are experiencing large numbers of students who are coming with both learning and behaviour needs. Our teachers are there for teaching and learning. They're not specialists in behaviour. They need support from specialists, um, specialists that, you know, um, in and around curriculum to meet the needs of these young people. We need to meet the needs of our young children coming through, and that means that teachers need that support. OK, Victoria Stewart, your thoughts, comments? Um, look, I agree. The I think primary school education is absolutely broken, and I just have the utmost respect for any person teaching in that environment, given mm. how difficult it is. Leanne, I'm interested to know, I haven't read much about the report, but um, it seems very idealistic, and I absolutely agree with everything it's saying around smaller classrooms, more support, but does, does it actually take that next step and say what needs to be done? Because this is going to cost a huge amount of money, which I personally fully support, but you know, we need more funding. I mean, does it cover how that's going to work? Yeah, it absolutely does. There's recommendations in there. I mean, there's some work that needs to be done because the recommendations reach out over the next 10 years and it's going to have to require changes to the current system, both systemic and also, um, you know, a funding and staffing formulas. So those are going to need to change. So, for example, you brought up the class role size formulas. You know, mm. there is... You know, there is good research there that says that um, smaller class sizes um, mean that you're meeting the needs of individual children. So those recommendations are in there. Um, it certainly does give a comprehensive unpacking of the systemic impact, the current systemic impact on teaching and learning. And it really does make for some really grim reading. We do need to make some changes going forward. Mm. Peter Field. Yes, well, uh, I'm reading uh, the first key recommendation from the report says, and I quote, increase classroom release time to give teachers more time for planning. And I say, yeah. oh, I see. In other words, take teachers out of the class to improve teaching. And I think that's nonsense. So I don't think teacher time is divided into two, but into three. There's teaching, there's prep, and then there's bureaucratic bull in my view. So I think there's a solution. I think it's a cheap solution. And I'm a teacher. My wife, by the way, works in a special needs school. And that is the bureaucracy is just terrible. It inhibits teachers from doing their work. Let the teachers alone. So many teachers, in fact, are relief teaching now. And you ask them why and they'll tell you because they just don't like the bureaucracy and all the work that keeps them from teaching. So I reject any report that doesn't first look at itself and see what's wrong with the people who are paid so much more than teachers who are obliging the teachers to do bureaucracy instead of be with okay. the students. Leanne, what do you think? Well, I just have to answer to that and say I just disagree. I mean, that bureaucracy is not coming from principals. It's not coming from boards of trustees. It's coming from the system. The system demands that we, um, you know, put in place reporting that teachers have, and you know, that are meeting the needs of every single student in their class. And I totally agree with that. What does it take to do that? What it takes is that teachers need to have time to plan. And this is the whole point of the first recommendation, is that they need to get to grips with an individual child's needs. And that means bringing in, unfortunately, all of the expert support to be able to help 
to do that. So I think it's about unpacking and understanding what planning means and how that impacts on what's happening in the classroom. If a teacher doesn't have that time, then that child does not have an individual program to help them with support to be able to reach their potential. Well, okay. Leanne, let me ask you about relief teaching then, um, because I do hear this regularly that lots of teachers are happy to relief teach but don't want a regular classroom because they know the bureaucracy it entails after hours. Oh, I totally agree with you. You're not wrong there. And once again, I say that that's because it is a system that demands that our teachers are, um, you know, planning to a certain extent that there is an expectation in and around um, reporting to various different people, whether that be to their boards, whether it's the ministry or whatnot. I mean, we have come a little way in that we are trying to declutter our planning and assessments. And, you know, since, uh, you know, we saw the goodbye of national standards, that has helped, that has taken away some of that bureaucratic needs. But when you've got a child with learning needs, they have to be assessed in order for you to be able to apply for the various different support supports that they need. There goes your bureaucracy. Right. Just, just finally, and and because uh, we'll just uh, briefly, one thing that has struck me, and I think it'll be of interest to our listeners, is the importance of the class size. Someone, Mike, has mm. just uh, texted in, in Finland. The, rea- the ratio is about one teacher to fifteen students, and they have top education ratings in the world. Is it really? Does it really make quite a difference? The the number of children or the ratio of a, of a class. I think we go back to that first statement you um, talked about when I first when I first got on here, and that was that um, you know you've got large numbers of children with large amount of different you know varied needs in a room. Um, we're seeing large numbers of children with behaviour, and then you've got learning. So you think about that. You think about a large class of twenty seven. You think about taking that down to twenty three, um, which is you know what we're suggesting here, or one of the recommendations are. Then you've got more time with each individual child. So it does make a difference in terms of class sizes. Well, you know, I agree with the Finland model. It's an excellent model. Mm. Lovely to have you on the program, Leanne. Appreciate it. That is Leanne Ortini. Yeah, Leanne Ortini, the principal of Whangarei uh, School there. A lot of feedback coming through uh, on that. Your guest's comments about bureaucratic clutter, taking the joy from teaching is 100% correct. I know teachers also who have become relievers due to that factor alone. Uh, 19 past four, the panel, RNZ National. More than 40,000 daily commuters could soon be stung with a fee to drive into Wellington Central City, reports Damien George and staff. Transport Minister Michael Wood has hinted that congestion charging could come to Wellington despite the charge being ruled out by his predecessor Phil Twyford. Internationally, congestion charging has been shown to be pretty successful in helping to unclog cities and the Climate Change Commission has recommended giving councils the tools they need to help uh, manage uh, the demand to reduce commissions, Wood says. So, uh, now New York has just been given the green light from the federal government to introduce congestion pricing. That's the latest city. London in 2003, you've got 30 bucks to $35 a day. Singapore started in 1975, modified in 1998. With us to discuss is Dr. Eric Crampton from the New Zealand Initiative. Dr. Crampton, kia ora. Good afternoon. What do you think in the Wellington context? Could it work? Of course it could work. Uh, congestion charging has been proven. Um, it wouldn't be that hard to set up. There are limited routes into Wellington that 
pose the bulk of the problem. Uh, right now, we're all paying for congestion through time spent sitting in traffic, increased emissions that don't need to be there, increased fuel costs that don't need to be there. And we could solve that. We could put, set up systems that charge either for critical routes or for entry into the city centre at peak times. There's recent work that's been done for the um, Transport and Infrastructure Commission Committee at Parliament. They've been having a select committee process on congestion charging for Auckland. There was a very yeah. substantial report that was commissioned into it, and it looks pretty sound. Okay. Yes, I'm noticing some of the <laughs> cities that do do it, Singapore, Durham, London, Stockholm, Dubai, and uh, it looks from the research that it it does work. It's actually quite a significant reduction of cars that come into the city. Yeah, so if you are charging for use at peak times, people will adjust either their time of travel or their mode of travel or decide that really work from home might be best. All of those options are available for people, and it... It doesn't have to be regressive. There are lots of ways of setting it up. Because that's the, that's, yeah. the, that's the downside, isn't it? Some people say it's regressive. People with limited incomes, lower socioeconomic, get excluded from well, coming in. Yeah, that's the usual critique of it, but it doesn't have to be that way. It depends how you design the system. In the Auckland case, they were recommending discounted travel for people on community services cards. I think there could be a slightly better way of handling that. Uh, if the point of congestion charging is not to raise money for different things, and that's what Minister Wood made clear when he was commenting on it earlier this week, and he's exactly right. If you use it for other purposes, you wind up screwing up the prices. You charge the wrong price. But that gives the government a pot of money. It could take that pot of money, divide it up among people who are using the road, irrespective of time of use, so rebate it yeah. back and give more, more money back to people with community services cards. Well, but let's go to a Wellington consumer driver, Victoria. <laughs> I, you, you endorse it? Um, yeah, look, I have absolutely no issue with congestion charges. The only comment in the Wellington context is having had over 3,000 bus cancellations in May, it would be really good if our council could sort out public transport before well, they brought that. it in. <laughs> there's that, there's that. Um, someone says, what do I do if I'm passing through Wellington to the, to the airport? Will they sting us then? Peter Field, you're in uh, Otahi there. What do you reckon? Oh, I'm entirely in favour. In fact, here's my plan. I, I think while folks are stuck in Wellington traffic, we should have an agent go car to car demanding a $50 note from every driver. At least that'll right. take everybody's mind off the congestion. Oh, who carries cash these days? <laughs> yeah, it's a higher charge than you need. Uh, I guess to Dr. Crampton that this is the the the, the real issue we're talking about. This is because uh, it's not just an issue uh, for the Wellington City Council, but extraordinary bills coming up into the pipeline, eh? particularly around infrastructure. Wellington has an issue around that. Rates can only go up so much. What are other ways to bring in revenue? Sure, I wouldn't see congestion charging as a way of raising revenue for infrastructure works, okay. but they could provide a lot of information that'd be really useful for transport planning. So again, if you use the money from congestion charging to fund roads, then you've got incentives in the system to try and put the price higher to pay for nice things, right? And that screws everything up. You don't want to have that. It builds backlash against it as just being another tax. But imagine, like, we've been arguing for decades about whether we need another tunnel in, at Mount Vic. Mm. If it turns out once you put in congestion charging that a 50-cent fee at peak times is enough to get rid of congestion, then it's stupid to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a new tunnel. But if it takes 10 or $20 to clear congestion at peak times through the tunnel, that tells us something really important about how valuable it is for people to get through that corridor at peak times, right? right? We could use that information for figuring out, should we spend money on this or on that? Victoria? 
I think I'm the dumbest person in the room at the moment. I'm sitting here with Eric. Um, yeah, look, no, this all makes absolute sense. Yeah. I am fascinated by that comment about um, how do you get to the airport because, you know, in Wellington to get to not just the airport but also the hospital, you've got to go through the central city. So that creates a real issue in terms of That's congestion. That's why I said it, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, um, Peter, um, so the latest, it was actually announced in late March, but New York City is bringing in congestion charging. So London has had it for a while, 2003, Stockholm, 2007, it's um, $11 a day. Uh, Milan, 2012. So under the proposal, local officials will charge a once-daily variable toll for vehicles entering or staying within the CBD. So the deserted area is uh, stretches from 60th Street in Midtown to Battery Park. This is your home turf. Uh, good idea for New York? Uh, I really, I really don't know. I mean, I don't live there anymore, and I'm glad to mm. say I never lived below 60th Street. Um, you know, what, what I find so interesting is, is poor, poor Michael Wood. Um, you know, because it seems to me that really what he's going to tell us is the Climate Change Commission has weighed in on this um, and that he's going to end up saying it's a climate emergency and that we're going to do this. And he's going to think that uh, he didn't have any choice whatsoever. Um, so I would think that that's the way we're going. It's, it's less about congestion and probably more about climate change. Okay, so uh, it's a big yes, uh, Eric. And can you can you see it happening? I think the time's right for it. So we've had more discussion about it for Auckland, more for here. It's in line with the things that the Climate Commission has been arguing for. Now, because we have a binding cap, it the effect of it is that it makes it easier for us to achieve net zero rather than affecting overall emissions. Mm. But that is important too. It helps keep prices down in the ETS and that helps people to adjust. But really the benefits are in just making cities more livable, that you can get across right. town when you need to, if you need to get to the hospital in a hurry, it's a lot better to pay three bucks to be able to get across town than be stuck in traffic for half an hour when you've got a sick kid. Nice to have you on the program, Dr. Eric Crampton. Thank you, Dr. Eric Crampton from the New Zealand Initiative. Uh, what do you think? Does, uh, does Eric there make sense or are you totally opposed to congestion charging in your city? Um, a lot of uh, feedback on teaching uh, as a real Māori speaker and an experienced teacher. I'm tempted to leave the classroom teaching environment because it is now so hard. There are many like me with skills that should be in front of kids who for their personal and own family well-being have to ask ourselves if we can continue. Well, thank you very much for your responses on that. Now, something that came to our attention on the panel uh, was a tweet that said, quote, teenagers' school has recently reminded students that they may be given detention if they're seen wearing non-uniform clothing with their uniform, even outside school grounds before or after school hours. And I thought I'd put that in front of the panel and see what they think of it. What do you make of this, uh, Victoria Stewart? Is it fair? If I went down the street without my blazer buttoned up at school, I got detention. If my hair touched my collar and wasn't tied back with a chocolate hairband and green bow, I got detention. Gosh. You know, it's, look, I just think actually kids need boundaries. We seem to be in a society where kids get to do anything. This probably doesn't harm the child. I don't think it's too bad. Do kids need such strict boundaries? Do they, or do, or do they need? Do, do they need Peter? Do they need creative freedom? Um, well, I'll leave it to the lawyers to figure out just how far from school we can we can offer detention. You know, if you see a kid in a school uniform, you know, ten streets away, I, I don't know that detention is the right answer. But I tell you, I love school uniforms, so at least I will weigh in on that. I think they're a great leveler. 
Mm. Um, and we all feel equity is, is a good goal. Richer, poor, same clothes. I love that. Um, and I love to urge kids to sweat the big stuff and not their appearance. So I think it's great so, there. So if you want them to sweat the big stuff, why worry about their clothes? That's why exactly not, why, why not? Why not? Why not? Why uh, not? Victoria, uh, ditch the standard school uniform and actually get with society and actually just wear your clothes. Well, I'm actually with Peter. I do think. I mean, there is an issue about the cost of school uniforms, but actually, school uniform does create equality, and there are issues in bullying and other problems in society where kids don't have the right she gear. Says she thinks it does, Wallace. Yes. Yeah. How, <laughs> Thank how, you, how, Peter. <laughs> how does how does wearing a school uniform create equality? Because there's no um, children are on an even even uh, playing field in terms of what they're wearing. There's no kids with. $200 gym shoes on there's no bullying because you're not in the right clothes you're just all the same Peter? Well I, I plus I just can't tell you coming from the United States how much I love the fact that they're boys that are 17 years old and they hunt in packs and when they're about to come out you just get to laugh out loud if they're silly tie and those silly shorts and that puts them in their place so mm. I think that's a fabulous part <laughs> of, right. of the whole story by the way to be more okay. serious um, it is also a good point that you also know girls and boys, that they are school students, and that makes a difference uh, in a world where uh, they're predators. And school uniforms will help that in the sense that you can what? You can, you There's can... no excuse. There's no excuse. You know that this right. is a, someone who's underage. Okay. All right. Uh, it is coming up to 4.30. Be interested to hear your views on, on that, uh, uniforms or not. Uh, Victoria Stewart and Peter Field with me on the panel. A bit of feedback for you. Now, quick save, quick um, one small step tip. Don't run water from the hot tap for small quantities. This wastes water and electricity as all the hot water left in the pipe cools down. Boil any small quantities in a kettle. Save any hot water in a thermos. Oh, that's interesting. That's a really good one. So don't run water from the hot tap for small quantities. That's a very, very good tip. Thanks for that.